king and we want him now we want a king and we want him now we want a king oh there we go welcome to civil discourse episode two oh wow we're up to two already episode two yeah wanted to mention this is not a safe space this is not a safe space which is why we will introduce uh ladies and gentlemen um dr michael koniger on the line here with me charles frederick sucrese and uh if you are concerned about the things that may be yet to come now's the time to go over to the disney channel or i don't know what else do people listen to when they're trying to escape <laughs> watching <laughs> watching the news disney's controversial too so i guess you gotta go to like nickelodeon or something you know? i'm sure we can come up with some problem there as well <laughs> anyway no uh welcome and and we're really pleased that you uh decided to stay with us for another week and uh thrilled to have you so what is on our mind this week well, charles well well uh dr mike i've really something's been bothering me a great deal and i have not been able to find the words um, to really say what I want to say to you. And and just until a moment ago when I had an inspiration and if you'll allow me and and uh, I for, you know apologize if I trip over myself here, but uh, let me just say, I'm sorry. What are you sorry for? I have no idea. But by the end of this episode, I bet we'll find something. You know, and, and it's 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 interesting because those words seem so difficult for people nowadays, don't they? I'm well, sorry. It, I'm sorry. It's no big deal. It's it's literally I'm sorry. Three syllables. Not yeah. too hard. Not too hard. And yet uh, said properly in the right uh, tone and, and articulation, maybe in writing uh, on some form of parchment with pen. Uh, it could be effective. But here's the problem I'm 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 perceiving. It seems to me that we have lost the ability to not necessarily say I'm sorry, but to say it in a way that reads as genuine regret or uh, sympathy in some fashion. And I don't know, when you say I'm sorry over Twitter. Mm-hmm. Even email, even email. Email. I mean, first of all, depending on who we might be talking about, and I, I don't know if there have been any recent uh, examples of this in the news of a, a high profile celebrity doing something that might be considered out of line, um, maybe warranting an apology of some sort. I, can you think of anything that might have happened? Uh, you know. I think there's some been some recent incidences involving award shows or whatever. Some and, and some kind of televised yeah. broadcast that might have involved a celebrity, um, as of yet unnamed, who I don't know offended somebody. Um, yeah, I, I and here's the thing, you know, if you if you do something in public, I kind of am I'm of the school. Then the apology needs to be in public. Maybe I'm just crazy here. Well, it's it's interesting because this is the whole point of our episode today. Has technology, social media, eroded our sense of human interaction and decency to such a degree that an apology is, or any other form of, of human exchange that used to be only acceptable in two forms, I would argue, uh, in person, looking someone in the eye, a handshake perhaps, and genuinely felt words that were 
uh, not compromised by setting. Uh, or in some cases, if that wasn't possible, a handwritten note that took time to compose and think and, and pause over, um, that might have been acceptable in, in historical contexts. But now you almost wonder, did your publicist write that? I'm pretty sure the publicist did. I, I think the real debate that we're going to have in the next, uh, few minutes is did did these electronic forms of communication lead to this or was it already happening and it exacerbated the situation? Interesting. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I, I've, I've done some research and did some looking around and there is a year that, that a lot of social, uh, socially, uh, what's the word I'm looking sociologists point to. And the magic year is 1960, the inauguration of John Kennedy in 60, where he didn't wear a hat. Believe it or not, that was controversial back then. Think about that. So He didn't um, wear a hat. He didn't wear a hat because till that point, men were, were supposed to be covered when they were out in public. And that was the social norm of the time. And, and it sounds really foreign to us, I'm sure. It does to me anyway. Uh, though a, a good hat is always something I'm, I'm, I'm with. Um, but yes, and, and so... Did things start to erode then? I mean, that's long before email and 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 those forms. Or um, did email and text messages and those things really uh, just take a situation that was kind of you know tenuous and make it much worse? Okay, so let's unpack this a little bit. We're talking about the difference between publicly acceptable presentation, shall we say? How right. one presents themselves in a public setting. And this goes back to ideas of chivalry and and polite discourse and any number of things that in some cases are a natural evolution of social norms. Right. Right. No one's being hurt. No one's being offended, uh, or at least not directly, um, even if we might be of a different taste or distaste. But. It's interesting because some, my taking my hat off in a time where it is uh, considered uh, polite to wear one is this, you could argue, is the same thing of women going away from having to wear a skirt down to their ankles, right? Right. Rel right. Relatively, uh, you know, similar thing. And, and suddenly when women started participating in activities or work that long dresses were not conducive to working in a factory and things of this sort pants, uh, which the American version of pants, not the British version, <laughs> but uh, single legged uh, attire became a safety issue, really, let alone, we won't even talk about comfort, but certainly a safety issue depending on what the activities were. And this of course came out of wartime changes in our, uh, economic and social need for labor, right? Right. And, and, you know, it was really noticeable at the Second World War, but it actually started prior to that in the First World War. Uh, it's just that that war was so much shorter for American involvement. Yes. And so we didn't see the huge impact um, that we see with Rosie the Riveter in the Second World War. Uh, and then, of course, you know, those women came home from the factory because the men came home from, from war. Sure. And they weren't going to revert back to having to always wear that long skirt. And I don't wear skirts, nor have I ever, not judging anyone who does. But 
I, I would bet that a good pair of uh, pants is probably just a little more comfortable in a lot of uh, casual situations, right? Uh, casual and we could argue weather and temperature situations. Sure. Um, so and then the materials, of course, started to change as well. We were moved away from wool and whatnot, but that's down another tangent. We don't need to necessarily go. But that if 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 we're going to refer to um, John Kennedy's taking off of the hat, I think that that was probably a, a moment that could be tied to other similar trends leading up to that point, such as we're talking. And while it may have been in some way uh, socially offending, it, I guess this is the question, would you say that that was in some way personally offending? Oh, I don't think it was personally offending. And by the way, the guy had gray hair. No wonder he didn't want to wear a hat, right? <laughs> so I, I, I think it was just bucking a society norm at the time. And, and you know, if you watch those 50s and 40s movies, uh, you see all the men are out in hats and, and there's something to be said for that. But I think, I think it was just, I think it was more a presidents always wear hats when they're outdoors and this president isn't. Um, and so I think it was just, it was probably not the event that changed the times. It was an event that reflected the times. Does that make sense? It, it totally makes sense. Um, but I think what we're talking about here is trends of change in social norms and acceptability, right? right? Right. So if we play that forward, we can think of all kinds of things. And, and, and I think there's a connection here that you're absolutely right on because it starts, there's an old saying, and, and you might help me refine this, but the idea of how you present yourself, we'll, we'll say as a man, but I would say as a person, because women, I think the rule is justice of the same. How you present yourself on the outside is often uh, a reflection of how you think of yourself on the inside, right? Well, and and to your point, this is the message that Cary Grant articulated, and I look at him as a a timeless style icon. Uh, if and you dress like Grant, if you dress like Cary Grant and you behave like Cary Grant did in social situations, you're probably doing okay regardless of the area you're in. And and he always said, you always buy an expensive suit because even when it's threadbare and falling apart. It was an expensive suit. Mm -hmm. So you feel like a th at that time, a thousand dollar suit was an incredibly expensive suit. You feel like a thousand bucks because you're wearing a thousand dollar suit, even though it should really be at the Goodwill. Right. So anyway, <sighs> I, I think it's not only outward appearances to others. It's an inward. I've dressed up. I behave a little bit better. And, and I think there's the key right there. Behavior. Whatever that inner life is that you are reflecting in the way you present yourself on the exterior is in, and obviously we're speaking vast generalities here, of course, um, of course. but just following this line of, of logic, if we want to dare to call it that, uh, the behavior, the socially accepted behavior is often a reflection of the formality or uh, casual nature of our presentation or circumstances. So when time was that you always wore a tuxedo to church in certain settings or a suit and tie at the very least, a formal gown and hat for ladies, um, then you sat up straight, you paid attention. There was a certain degree of, again, keeping up with the Joneses on that level. We start introducing more casual presentation 
it starts shifting our attitudes about the formality or lack thereof of circumstances and our behavior follows. So from that perspective, we probably could blame uh, the the current place on John F. Kennedy. And that's our show, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. No, I, I think, though, this this goes back to the civil and and we've been talking a little while about this, but this goes back to the lack of civility that we're hearing in debate today uh, where you and I disagree. And so that makes you a communist or a fascist or, or whatever other extreme and a very offensive word one of us can throw at the other. And so this all intertwines my inability to sit down after having said something that you found personally offensive and pen a letter to you on a piece of paper with a, with an ink pen and say, I'm sorry. It was not my intent to offend you. And if I did, I hope you will accept my apology. And consequently, we can no longer have civil discourse because we can't even communicate that we may have made a mistake. Well, I think on, on many different levels, it's a, a question of, you use the words ability. I'm, I don't have the ability to sit down, but there's also a question of willingness or interest in pursuing that level of human connection. Um, and some of that is, again, going back to your original point, I think arguably uh, it makes sense to me that some of that is born out of a gradually eroding sense of formal expectation of behavior and social exchange. You know, we, you, you mentioned that if something happens in a public setting that is offending, then an apology should be public. And I would amend that a little bit in my opinion. Um, going back to our example of a, as of yet unnamed celebrity and, uh, and uh, television broadcast that might uh, have demonstrated this failing. It would seem to me the thing to have done if, well, the, the first thing to have done would have been not to have done it in the first place. Um, it, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about the slap, of course. Uh, it's now known as the slap or her, heard around the world or whatever they've come up with. Um <laughs> But, you know, OK, let's let's just give him the benefit of the doubt to say that he could not in any way control the, the animalistic impulse to 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 lash out at what he perceived as an offense um, to his wife. OK, that's a whole nother conversation we could have. But let's just give him the, the benefit of the doubt and say there was just no way he could be tied down from getting up out of his chair and going to doing that. In the moments either directly after or at the point where he got up on the stage or at least in the you know day following, it would seem to me that the thing to have done would have been to reach out to Chris directly. And come on, you're Will Smith. You can reach out to Chris directly um, and have that private moment of apology, that by that personal connection, right? Right. And then with that genuinely handled and out of the way, then you can turn to facekeeping, you know, uh, the public uh, conversation that in my pessimism, I find myself feeling that that was more an act of, of saving face, right? 
than necessarily a genuinely felt uh, outreach to somebody that you assaulted. Um, regardless of the fact that you did it on live television in front of millions around the world. <laughs> it's, it's disappointing in that. Uh, and I think I mentioned it in our last episode, I have, I have had a great deal of respect for both of these gentlemen and have, I mean, these are, these are icons of our generation of entertainers and, uh, yeah, and both of them came from nothing basically and, and pulled themselves up through hard work and dedication and, and a lot of study. Let's be fair. Uh, if you go back and look particularly at the uh, career of Will Smith, you can see how he progressed as an actor from, from a guy who was miming the lyrics of his mm-hmm. co-stars in his first TV show to a gentleman who won the Academy award for, for legitimately, I think very right. legitimately. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I, I mean, these are, these are self-made people uh and, and i know self-made is 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 does not mean they did it by themselves it just means they did it through hard work and, and some some help from other folks like quincy jones and will will smith's case yes uh, so but still it, it's you know the bottom line here is and i keep thinking about this and i know it's very early to talk about the bottom line we are raised better than this Ooh. you know that's a that's a deep sandbox you just stepped in right there. I, I did, but you know, I don't think most I think most parents, at least from the generation we reside with, instill try to instill those kind of values in their children. Even if they didn't always display them on their own, but <laughs> Right. Well no, that's a legitimate point. I think the question that that I'm I'm wanting to explore is less about what he should have done, and 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 so forth, and and less about that circumstance in general, and more about the larger societal acceptance of something like that happening in the first place, and then the uh, the impersonal response and and i would even question the uh, disingenuous uh response at least the way it feels you know it's possible that absolutely in a tear felt manner he wrote that uh tweet and and that was you know the most he was humanly capable of offering okay fine um i'm guessing that not very long ago would not have been an acceptable uh, way to make amends for an offense of that level. And yet I'm thinking that it seems like apologies are not failing to be given for things. You hear people on, I apologize for this. I didn't mean to offend that. We're constantly apologizing the word. I'm words. I'm sorry. I mean, they, they're flown thrown around so often for so little, uh, that they, I think in many ways have lost a lot of their meaning. And now there's almost this free pass we give. So again, eroding this, uh, the value of a genuine apology or a genuine human interaction period. Um, now when's the last time you received a thank you letter? <laughs> it, you don't, well, yeah, I haven't received one in years. Um, and I, and, and not, not to be inconsistent, I've fallen off the wagon with, with, I used to be religious after birthdays and holidays and so forth of sitting down and writing as my mother taught me and insisted I did for decades, 
uh, I, I used to be absolutely dedicated to uh, taking the time to do that. And as it has become less socially recognized as an important thing, well, then the behavior follows suit, right? Well, and, and the reason why you heard the nervous laugh was I was immediately thought, when was the last time I wrote a thank you letter? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. Uh, I, I think I'm probably just as bad about it as others. And, and you know, with the uh, introduction of a foster son into our home, we did receive gifts. And so I need to sit, you, you just convinced me I need to sit down this weekend and write some thank you letters, shouldn't I? Well, so that was really, that's, that's the only reason I, mean, I came into the studio today, Mike. That was really it. <laughs> I know that. The, the point being is you get a thank you letter. And when you get one nowadays, it, it, it's, you say, you know, you immediately feel, hey, that's really neat. That Mike bothered to take five minutes to write me a quick thank you. And you can put it on a card. It doesn't take more than three sentences. And, and you know, um, it, it's probably, it's the right thing to do. But so here's the question, though. Getting back to bringing this technology thing in, it is not entirely uncommon that when a nice thing is done, that a, a gift is given. Now, the acceptable form of thank you is a quick text. Right. right? Maybe if you're really feeling generous, you pin an email. But is it the same thing? Does it have the same, uh, does it carry the same? Uh, a weight that the handwritten letter did and so forth. And I'm not trying to be all ladicious and say, Hey, we got to go back to, you know, right. Though it'd be kind of nice. It would be fun. Um, and it'd probably be meaningful for a lot of people, but I'm not suggesting we do that. I'm just asking, have we lost some of that deeper value of human exchange because of the convenience and the informality that technology has allowed us in social media and so forth. And are we seeing the longer term, more serious effects of that same thing when it comes to the offending idea, the challenging idea, the, uh, you know, you don't agree with me, you're a communist idea, whatever it is. Is this all part of a much larger uh, umbrella of the impersonal as demonstrated through the convenience of technology? Well, that's, that's the million dollar question. And, and are we, is this indicative of the, of the tearing of the social fabric or is this contributing to the tearing of the social fabric? And I'm going to argue that it's indicative uh, of the tearing of the social fabric uh, where, you know, we go back to last week with your, your bicyclist 20 years ago. Well, probably more like 30 years ago now, probably wouldn't have seen that interaction. Not played out as it was. Right. Because there were, you know, and that's the thing is, is maybe in the bar you would have seen it, but probably not in public. I would even argue in this, here we go. Uh, it would be even less likely to have originated from a woman. Fair. <laughs> Fair. I, I was thinking, um, well, I was thinking about that. Um, you know, because there was a time when you didn't use certain language in front of women. I'm not saying that time was better. It, it was just different. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm pondering on it. You, you made me very thoughtful, which is why my speech is halting in that, you know, 30 years ago was the 90s. 
Shut that's up. Not that long. Shut up. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> that's not that long ago. I, Keith and, even and just fell out of his chair. I'm looking at him in the window here. <laughs> Keith, Keith our, our producer extraordinaire. We got to keep him in the chair, by the way. No, I'm just sitting here. I'm just sitting here thinking about this. And I, you know, I, I, I remember, recall many social interactions over the years. And the level of decorum, you know, Johnny Carson's been off the air a long time, but you know, when you came on Johnny Carson's show, you wore a suit, right? On the tonight show. Um, you know, you, you behaved a certain way and, and I must, again, not better, but different. Well, and there were individuals, certain comedians, certain characters that may have, you know, differed from that norm, but it was considered a, that one individual is just out there, right? You know, we just, we accept that Robin Williams showed up in suspenders and nothing else but a smile. Because it was Robin Williams, it didn't mean that everyone started following that trend. Um, and and you, you went to church if you were church going you wore a suit and tie if you went to a concert or the opera you you might be all the way up to a tuxedo but at the very least a suit uh as a teacher i mean mike you've worked in education for years you wore a suit and tie to school as a teacher yes yeah actually the school i taught in was a, a inner city school that was modeling business attire and so i was required to wear a suit with a tie except on fridays on fridays i could wear a polo shirt and, and trousers but, but no jacket. Any, uh, you could wear a sport jacket, but it was casual Friday and you paid for that honor uh, to do so. I, I think it was a couple bucks that went to some fund, but uh, four days a week you were in proper uh, suit and, and tie. And Fridays were the casual days where you got to wear a, a pair of chinos and a, and a polo shirt with the school <laughs> logo on it, by the way. So, so here's a question. Uh, here's a question. And I, this is related, but drawing back on your experience, did you find that the behavior on Friday, not just because it was the end of the week, but perhaps because of the perceived informality that came with a Friday, did you find that the general uh, attitude and behavior of teachers and students alike was a little different on Fridays? Speaking just for Mike, yes. not anybody else. I was not as formal on Fridays as I was on during the rest of the week. And I think it goes back to what we said at the beginning is how you dress does influence the way you think and the way you behave. And the way others think and behave around you. Exactly. The other thing is, is if you stopped on the way home from work to do some business on Monday through Thursday, you were treated differently by the people across the counter from you. Mm -hmm. And I think there's still something societally that says he or she is in a suit or and so they're obviously very professional and i should approach them a little differently so now we're touching on another interesting thing and 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 i don't know the context to offer this question in so just roll with me on it okay but we have what you just said there brings in some very interesting overtones of the attitude of others towards your presentation of formality or um, professionalism or education uh, or thoughts about your position in society. We don't have a caste system, so to speak, in this country, but we do in, a, in an informal way. 
and time was that that professional, educated, uh, well-presented affluence, so to speak, uh, was something to be st- strived for, right? Is it strived or striven? Strived. Go with strive. Okay. <laughs> he, he, the producer, can look it up as we continue to talk. <laughs> He's still on the floor. Um, so, <laughs> but but wherever you were, on whatever rung of of the ladder you were, we were always looking up with ambition, right, to climb. That was the general idea. And now I sometimes wonder, and again, I don't know what you know, part of our exploration here is to figure out what has been the primary or at least significant contributing factors. Now it seems like there are certain circles that are growing wider where I don't want to necessarily advertise my affluence or my professionalism or my education. Not Not in a bragging way by any means, but you know, even something as simple as shifting the way I speak around certain people or in certain neighborhoods or, or, or whatnot, because somehow it's perceived as, as me being uppity or looking down on or flashing airs or things of this sort, which then comes across as threatening. I don't know. Uh, have you observed this? Oh, certainly, certainly. And this goes back to, I had mentioned earlier the way we were raised, um, I came from a lower middle income background. I've shared this with you personally, but we were taught to not act like the way, not to act like our, our, our income level. You know, you, you treat people with respect. You treat yourself with respect. Words like sir and ma'am were important. And, and I, I know you had a very similar upbringing in that uh, that was expected of you as well. And, and you know, it's about respect and, and personal respect, not just respect for others, but personal respect. And so I'm sorry, I do appreciate when I interview someone and they're wearing a jacket and tie. Now, you know, in the world of virtual, they could be wearing a pair of shorts below the waist. I would never know. But <laughs> but when you come to an interview with me and we're on camera and I do all my interviews on camera when I when I interview new employees, I, I do appreciate seeing a, a tie. And a jacket, because what you say to me is this is important to me and I want you to take me seriously. So and that is possibly indicative of the way you will approach your performance in the job, right? Sure. But I also understand you'll never be better dressed in the day of your interview. I know that Uh, particularly now. And I work for a technology company and, and, you know, the uh, days of, of suits and ties and technology are long gone. but. I do think it it tells me how serious you are. And maybe I'm just an old curmudgeon and and I need to get with modern times. And that was a part I I was hoping we could eventually get to. Is it because we're just two two curmudgeons and and we're bemoaning the loss of uh, what we we think of as what was a civil society, which had lots of problems, by the way. Let's not pretend we don't acknowledge that. It did have lots of problems. Well, and, and, and you're absolutely right about that. Um, two things come to mind. One, uh, in response to that, yes, let us not romanticize the past as being this golden era. There's lots to be criticized, but I don't think we have to look at what was bad in the mid 20th century 
and throw away the good with it. I think there were things that we did. I'll speak as an American, though I, this probably translates across ponds too in many ways. But I, I think that we did a lot well as a society and were, in, were invested to varying degrees in improving that as individuals and as a community, right? Right. And this, this in spite of the challenges we had not yet overcome and, and still are in many ways working towards, hopefully working towards overcoming. But uh, I would also argue that while we have, and I'm doing air quotes here that nobody can see at home, but despite the fact that we have, quote, overcome some of those social challenges, I wonder if we haven't created uh, some really significant other problems or challenges and how much of that is directly relatable to the technology that we have, that we have lost some of that personal interaction, which has made it easy and acceptable to allow this feedback loop of decline in personal interaction to continue. Um, and that's a question. That's not an answer. I'm, I'm, I don't have the answer there. I just wonder these things when I lie awake at night. I mean, you did say something that I'm going to challenge, though. Um, Please. When you mentioned that you were raised in uh, not an upper uh, middle class setting, but you were the way I, I, you know, I may misquote you, but uh, you said something to the effect of you were challenged by your parents to still present at a higher level than your economic status, uh, verbally in education and clothing and so forth. Um, do, did I say that relatively correctly? That, that's a fair. That's a fair assessment. I'm not going to say what my mom used to say to me because it would be uh, okay. inappropriate nowadays. But uh, <laughs> well, I just want to make sure I'm not misquoting you. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, and and it was sincere on her part. You know, it, it was. Well, I, I don't suppose this is not a safe space. So we may be white trash, but you don't have to act like it. <laughs> and I would argue that uh, if if your mom was in this room today, I would say that. Her sentiment was correct, but I think the, or at least I, I won't even say correct. I would, I would agree with her sentiment, but I would challenge the specifics of the words she chose because I grew up middle class, not upper middle class, but not lower middle class. We, we needed for nothing. We wanted for things, but we needed for nothing. And everything that uh, one needed to be healthy and, and taken care of and educated and so forth was very much available to me. And for that, I'm grateful. Um, but my parents did not grow up in that setting. And they both came from my father from a segregated southern uh, Houston, Texas uh, community. My mother from a poor farming town in, in northwest Indiana. And I would argue that things like presenting yourself as, you know, pursuing education, speaking correctly, at least within the, the ability of your culture um, or community or exposure, perhaps is the better word, uh, your clothes being clean, uh, you know, bathing keeping a neat home. This was nothing that had anything to do with your economic 
ability. That was a, a personal standard of pride that was just not conditional in certain homes. You know, you may only have one outfit, but boy, that outfit's going to be clean and taken care of. Um, and, and even if it's patched, it's clean and patched. Absolutely. Absolutely. There was, and this was a, a point of pride. You may not know all the words, but the words you do know, you're going to speak correctly and you're going to, and you're going to speak with respect. And it had nothing to do with the fact that you may be, be poor. You know, am, am, am I mischaracterizing I, I don't disagree. that? I, I don't disagree. I think it was just more the way she presented the message. I don't think she, um, and, 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 Full disclosure, I think I've shared this our last episode. My parents are Europeans. Uh, my mother particularly is, is was born there and, and had me here. Mm -hmm. uh, my father's family immigrated when he was small. Uh, but I think part of that was just a European mindset in that uh, social strata was much more important there than it is here. Um, so I, I think that was just her way of articulating that we're not going to misbehave. We're going to represent sure. our family and we're going to represent what we are and not how much we have in our wallet, which is important. And perhaps, you know, in the early 2000s, there were this whole rash of shows about makeovers and, and dressing you better and looking at your wardrobe. You know, Tim Gunn had one. There, mm -hmm. there were multiples of these shows where we went out and remade people. The Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, the first iteration of that was, was all about that. And so uh, what has been lost and uh, you know our producer will fall out keith will fall out of his chair again that was 20 years ago now so what has changed in 20 years right so why is it that now i and i know i'm i'm attaching dress to behavior but i think they do go hand in hand at least the sociologists think so well i i, I think that it's not so much dress and behavior directly even though that certainly is a thing but i think it's more presentation, you know, on every level, how we, how we dress, how we groom, how we speak, um, how we interact, you know, do I, when I say, how you doing, do I actually care what your answer is? You know, the, the, the sense of human, uh, thoughtfulness that, you know, this idea that treat other, the golden rule, treat others as you would wish to be treated. Right. And, I still, and, and, and we've gotten away from the technology side of this, but I still wonder, you say, what has changed in the last 20 to 30 years? Well, when did the internet become a, a thing that was acceptable and most, or available in most people's homes, let alone the palms of their hands? 2000s, for sure. I was an early adopter and in 94 had internet. Okay. And that's a very early adopter. Okay. Um, so that's about the, that's within that 20 to 30 year period. It sure is. I, again, well, you know, there's some other, there's some other indicators I did research and find uh, interesting. Uh, the Catholic church, though it didn't enact it or enforce it, women were supposed to be covered in church until I think early 1980s. Now I grew up in the Catholic church and women weren't covered when I was a kid. So, so it predates that time frame. but officially it was taken off the books in, in the early 1980s. So uh, under under uh, what would be considered now a very conservative pope and John Paul II, by the way. So I, I find that interesting. But I think maybe we're looking at an issue that's much more faceted than we, well, I, I think we both understand it's much more faceted than, than a first glance looks. Uh, maybe the answer is both. Maybe there's been a degeneration in manners. 
and maybe the electronic uh, media, whether it be email, whatever the tool is, has exacerbated it even more. In my humble opinion, which of course is always right, as you frequently will uh, let people know, um, that- Meaning he's full of it, but that's another comment. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think if we look at the historical context, um, inner city, well, you were an inner city teacher, so I'm sure you can give me some, some background on this, but inner city acceptable behavior was a very different idea in the 19 late seventies and eighties already from the 1950s. We had cities in the 1950s. We had impoverished people and communities in the 1950s and forties and maybe early 60s, but there was still an acceptable behavior that was understood almost on a universal level of how a teacher and student has an interaction, how a a child and a parent has an interaction, um, and and an employee and a boss, and so forth. And I think we were already seeing trends moving away from that to what I don't know, uh, already happening in the late seventies and eighties. Would you, would you agree? I think that's a fair statement. And, um, I I think if you go back and look at the time, you will see the alarm bells ringing in certain segments of society. And so I, I always remind folks that 1968, the riots during that election weren't against the Republican party. They were against the democratic party. And so uh, meeting Abby Hoffman and those Chicago, the Chicago groups. And so um, I, I think that may be a bellwether event. Let's not getting into the politics of it, but just in the behavior of it, where um, fight, fight the power, wear blue jeans and a torn up shirt. And, and I'm not saying those folks are wrong or right, but that, that was an expression of fighting the power, right? It was the, the attire you refuse to wear. Yeah, I'm not going to wear shoes. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Well, you know, those those folks grew up and, and they put on suits and they and they moved into positions of power. Uh, I mean, Bill Clinton was a hippie before he was the president. Right. So anyway, I, I just it, it's it's a interesting thing to look at. And well, this was all Elvis Presley's fault. Right. I, I'm I mean, happy to blame Elvis. Those young people started <laughs> listening to that rock and roll and seeing him swinging them hips. And it's just been downhill ever since. Well, particularly since he stole all his moves from James Brown and, and Little Richard. So it's black folks' problem, right? The downfall so, of America goes back to black music. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in today. <laughs> well, and, and being a rock and roller, and, and uh, I, I, I don't want to blame rock and roll, but again, it's it's an indicator. And so I think perhaps it's time that we return to a little bit of civility and, and uh, learn to... Um, you know, what am I going to be doing here in the next few days? I'm going to sit down and write some thank you cards. And, and I think the revolution begins in your home, doesn't it? Well, it has to start with the personal and, and the individual. And if, you know, let's take the thank you note. And by the way, this was not intended to guilt you into <laughs> thank you notes. Um, but, you know, as an example, you take that moment, you send that nicely thought out, if brief, uh, handwritten note to somebody, they read it, they're touched by it, they say, this was really nice, I'd like to, uh, to be part of that experience for somebody else, and perhaps things go. And we all sing Kumbaya by the end of the year, um, which is not likely to actually happen. But, you know, you're right, it has to start... Uh, 
being recognized as an issue first. It's a problem. And if we can at least sort of agree that there's something there or not there that used to be there, then maybe it can incite, you know, some action towards improving it. And I'm not saying don't send any text messages anymore or emails. And I'm not saying everybody needs to sit down and handwrite their thank you notes. But I wonder if at least just recognizing that we have, we're missing something and being thoughtful about that, then maybe getting up in the middle of the Academy Awards and slapping someone across the face and then tweeting an apology will not be quite as socially acceptable as it seems to currently be. I'm going to take you one step further. I, I agree with everything you said. Yes, yes, I agree. Uh, look around you when you open the door and see if there's some dad hustling with a stroller in front of him that needs a door held for him. Or, uh, you know, when the person in front of you is 16 cents short on their order, pull the, pull the quarter out of your pocket and throw it on the counter. Or perhaps just using words like sir and ma'am and, hey, how are you today? How are you feeling? Uh, to the person who's across the counter working at, at your local fast food eatery or uh, being kind to each other. Well, here's a simple idea that goes back to elementary school. Um you know, those very difficult three syllables that make up I'm sorry, there's an equally effective, if not even more so, uh, phrase that's only two syllables that people um, can, you know, get back to using. You ready? Oh, it's I, I know what it's going to be. Thank you. And the appropriate response is. You are welcome. That's way too many syllables right there. Well, that's, that's, that's a few more, but you can always shorten it to you're welcome. So that's three. I can't <laughs> tell you how many times I have held a door for someone, lady and male alike, and they walk right. And Keith is nodding his head over here in, 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 in uh, agreement with this experience. Walk through like uh, I'm the porter. Like, that's my job. Well, if that's my job, tip me, fool. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to tell you a little story, and, and I think you'll appreciate this. And um, I used to work in Washington, D.C., and I would take the, the metro into work. And I got on the Green Line, and the Green Line originates in Prince George's County in Maryland, which is the wealthiest uh, black majority county in America. And or one of it, it may not be anymore. At that time, it was. And when you got on the train on the green line where it originated, which is where I got on, you sat on your seat. And as you went towards the city, when older women, older men, women or men with children came on, you would get up out of your seat and let them have the seats so they could ride the train in the rest of the way. Whoa. And, oh, wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm sitting in my seat. I have, I'm doing whatever work I'm doing on the way in. I look up, I see a older lady uh, had gotten on the train. I got up, went and grabbed the rail, the, the rail above me and said, ma'am, uh, please have a seat. She sat down. Gentleman, um, five, eight feet behind me, looked at me, gave me a thumbs up and pointed up at the sky and said, he's watching. And I will never forget that moment. And it was a, 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 a moment where I realized that not all of us have lost the ideas of civility. And so flash forward 20 years later, I get on the train and nobody's getting up and giving up seats. No, it just doesn't happen. So something has been lost to your point. 
And that is not something that you can do through email, but, but there's a, and, and again, I did mention dads with kids too, right? So oh, yeah. it, oh, it's yeah. just one of those things where I think we are no longer aware and or concerned. You know, the other thing is how many times you see someone run into a pole because they're looking at their phone or they run into people because they're looking at their phone. Technology, technology. We need to look up. So I'm not saying you're, you're a hundred percent. I don't think it's a hundred percent technology. I think the technology is probably, my opinion is it's an indicator uh, of where we are. I think Um, it is the, the gasoline that exactly blew up an already existing spark. Um, But so too are the cures for these things. I mean, the forest fire still starts with a single spark, right? Right. So if, uh, you know, this is feeling very, uh, let's come together now and hold hands and sing, but that's certainly not our intention because this is not a safe space. Damn it. Uh, (laughs) Start, start, No, I think, I think the message is start the revolution within your own home and within your own self. And, And so just because you perceive something you and I both perceive that there's a serious issue. The way we can fix it is not to preach it to everyone else. Let's start with ourselves. So when you hold the door for me, I need to turn around and say, thank you. If you and I go out to lunch and and I pick up the ticket uh, at the end of lunch, Hey, Mike, thank you for lunch. Hey, Frederick, sorry, Charles. Hey, Charles, thank you for lunch. I don't know who that Frederick guy is in the booth. I keep talking to uh, <laughs> anyway, he, he left uh, the room. No, I, I think, I think that's important stuff. And so, uh, and, and the fact that Keith's head was nodding about holding the door means we, and we've all experienced the one where the person just walks in and, and walks and doesn't say a word or even acknowledge that you're alive. Um, <laughs> I, be sure when that person holds the door, you turn around and say, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. Well, and it's not a good feeling when that happens. And here's no. the hilarity of it. It's the easiest thing in the world. When someone does acknowledge appreciation, you feel good. Of course. And of course to with something as simple as two syllables thank you or you can get really wild and say thank you very much i appreciate that shocking (laughs) so i I think that's probably the message of the day uh keith did we get anything wrong or anything you need to correct he's shaking his head no but uh you know i he's still i think he hit his head on the floor a little hard earlier so um (laughs) but we're sorry we're sorry that you hit your head on the floor and i hope you feel better (laughs) wasn't that hard to say that was it i just want to say i've seen on tiktok someone goes essential classic rock songs you need to know and teen spirit started playing on his tiktok channel which was then sliced by a jet xer who promptly gave him the middle finger Because thinking about Nirvana being classic rock makes me sick to my stomach. <laughs> well, I, I hate to tell you, Keith, I went into uh, Trader Joe's the other day and they were playing Nirvana. Sorry. I, <laughs> when, when the music you listen to growing up is the music in the grocery store, mm. that's when you've... On uh, the oldies channel. Yes. Uh, the station. Yeah. Yes. Did, did we get an answer described or striven? Uh, oh, well, don't, that's not my forte. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's one of those words I believe you can say either way. Tune in next oh, week, ladies and gentlemen, no. as we bring you the final conclusion, exciting as it is, about whether we have strived or striven to uh, to uh, complete this podcast grammatically correctly. Well, uh, we will continue to strive for excellence here. <laughs> and um, in, in wrapping up, I, I do want to thank everyone who stuck it out with us here and listened to the, the two curmudgeons talk about the loss of... Uh, social consciousness and, and proper behavior. <laughs> and so um, those are my final words, but I'll bet Charles, you have a final word. 
No, I uh, I want to thank uh, Sacred Heart University for helping to produce this podcast, the School of Communication and the Arts. Dr. Jim Castengay, Keith Zdrojevi. I'm getting the thumbs up. All right. My co-host, Dr. Michael Koeniger, or uh, Dr. Koenige, as some of us call him. <laughs> and, and, of course, the uh, thoughtful and ever... Uh, great person to listen to charles frederick sacrese who uh, is the driving force behind this so thank you everyone for listening and we and we want to hear from you by the way so oh, yeah what's the email address there's thank an email interrupt- address civil discourse tnss that's this is not a safe space at gmail.com if you have had an experience that uh resonates with what we've talked about here today we want to hear from you so write us let us hear your thoughts in praise or condemnation we're down for all of it though we may not be able to read everything on the air but uh we we will we will definitely include your thoughts in our in our program here. So write us again. That's civil discourse tnss at gmail.com and tune in next week. Talk to you next week. Bye. Surrender